0: welcome to another episode of the cocoa podcast a place where we amplify voices in the chocolate and cocoa industry and search for true sustainability i am your host emma rose today we are diving into the world of cocoa farming the process of making all chocolate starts there with the tree and the fruits and getting an understanding of that process and how it ends up into the delicious food we eat It's really important to understanding its value and making more conscious purchasing decisions as consumers. I'm super excited to be joined by an amazing guest today, Jeff Abella, who not only started a cocoa farm, uh, cocoa and coffee farm down in Cameroon, Africa, but also founded a bean-to-bar chocolate making and coffee roasting company here in the United States called Mocha Origins. Jeff ties together the elements of the supply chain in a very ethical and transparent way. And today we're going to learn about what that process looks like. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Emma, thank you so much. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. All right, cool. So Jeff, tell us how you got started. What prompted you to first go to Africa, but then you decided to build a cocoa and coffee farm? How did that decision making play
1: out? You bet. So originally, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin, and um, had a background in um, actually audio engineering and ended up doing uh, marketing and corporate audio uh, work for an um, advertising um, recording studio. And uh, it was really fun. Loved what I was doing, making a lot of good connections and kind of learning about small business management, but um, really felt a lack of kind of mission and wanted that to be a piece in my like long-term kind of playbook as far as what I was going to spend my life achieving. And so I, yeah, I did what I think most people would do. I, I quit my job and liquidated everything. And I, I moved to Africa to uh, start a cocoa farm. And, <laughs> uh, and it was, it was, uh, and at the time really easy, actually, I was right out of the school. I was in my early twenties um, and my wife and I actually, before going to Cameroon, we ended up in Pennsylvania at a really great not-for-profit, which is where we live and, and work as well, uh, called the Himalayan Institute. It's a meditation and yoga retreat center that also does international development projects in Cameroon, Mexico, and, and North and South India. And so we, yeah, signed on as volunteers to work with Himalayan Institute, and we're part of their founding team in Cameroon to work with the community members within this community in Cameroon to start a range of programs. And it was really focused around education and health and women's empowerment at the time. And uh, uh, one of our kind of leading programs was was a health program where we would actually grow the medicinal herbs needed to be manufactured into health products and then distributed. And so we started working with cocoa and coffee farmers that way um, we're living in this beautiful region in the northwest part of Cameroon, up in the mountains, known for cocoa, uh, known for coffee, rather, and then working in the, the lower elevations as well with cocoa farmers. And the the whole time we were working with growing these medicinal herbs. And that was useful to the the farmers because cocoa and coffee for them wasn't really a, it wasn't like a sustainable crop that provided them a living wage income. So they needed other crops to grow. So we started working with cooperatives to grow the the medicinal herbs needed to process in our health program, and I, it was yeah it was around that time when I really fell in love with uh, coffee and, and cacao or cocoa and really the the ag- agronomy side of it and the potential it had to create jobs um, and I really fell out of love and kind of lost the taste for chocolate and coffee as well at that moment from the standpoint of the commercial product and the Commercial supply chain uh, for those, and I just started questioning everything as we were, you know, living in this community, spending about half of our time over there. Um, and now this has been 15 years, and that's been our focus. So it's kind of like our second home. Um, we have re- we uh, renovated this beautiful coffee co-op and turned it into a community center on the bottom floor with a library, health center, and laboratory to manufacture herbs. And then the top is, yeah, our kitchen and our home. Um, but we started questioning how could you know, two things, coffee and chocolate, which feed billions of people around the world, not sustainably feed the farmers that grow these beans. And how could like chocolate even cost a dollar or two on a shelf when so much energy goes into making these products? And then ultimately like, what is chocolate anyway? So, you know, here we are looking at varietals, climate, um, soil conditions, the agricultural conditions to grow coffee and cocoa. Um, you know, how the farmers are drying and fermenting and how do those aspects lend themselves towards quality and how does quality relate to value and ultimately compensation for them. Um, and it was at that time, we were bringing samples back to the US, having labs test them, talking to other coffee and chocolate makers to see if there's interest in like, you know, being a part of this direct trade relationship that we were foraging, uh, forging. foraging. And um, we actually fell in love with making chocolate on accident, I guess. We started making test batches right off of the farm uh, that we had started in Cameroon, you know, a little stone grinder, a small roaster. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I was roasting in my shed about a hundred yards from what is now our factory. And, um, I finally outgrew my shed and my wife had to (laughs) kick me out of the shed. Like, you know, you've taken this too far. You need a, you need a bigger, a bigger shed. So we, uh, we restored this beautiful dairy barn in the Poconos, And it's on the campus of this not-for-profit of the Himalayan Institute, which is where we live and work as well. And yeah, we founded our roastery and chocolate factory. And the whole idea is to create a, really uh, a social movement using chocolate and coffee as the vehicle Mm -hmm. to create awareness around what these two commodities that we consume every day are and what the value needs to be across the supply chain so that everyone benefits, especially the farmer. And so that was Absolutely. going from our not-for-profit work to agriculture and really then organically kind of evolving that into craft chocolate and coffee.
0: That's awesome. Cool. Well, that that honestly leads perfectly into the next question, which, uh, can you explain the journey from bean to bar? Um, you know, I, I yeah. think it's... Uh, more labor-intensive than a lot of us think. So, what are the many steps along the way, and how does it all contribute to the final chocolate?
1: Sounds great. This is a really fun process, and it's a labor of love, really, uh, because it is a, it is a, it is a big process. And I always say that the coffee um, and chocolate making process really starts on the farm. The farmer is the first processor of that product, and that's not often the of like stance that commodity cocoa or chocolate uh, coffee makers uh, see Um, but when the farmer is in that first step of the process and and valued and understands what they need to do to achieve quality then the outcome meaning the product quality is going to be so much better and the market value will be higher and it's like a win-win-win for the customer the chocolate maker and the farmer so step one is really growing amazing beans. And uh, I have a, a cocoa pot here, I'll show you. Um, cocoa or cacao, and you can use those words interchangeably. In, in Cameroon, it's, we're in the English region, it's cocoa. Um, some of the other countries we source from, it's cacao, but I'll, okay. I'll call it cocoa. And so these cocoa trees are, are really amazing. They grow north and south of the equator around 15 to 20 degrees and need a lot of humidity. Um, Consistent rainfall, good soil conditions. They're very challenging fruit trees to grow. Um, For example, on Mocha Farm, we plant a tree with every product we sell. Uh, We just had 100,000 trees planted, so we're super excited about that. But it is a long term process. We're taking cocoa pods that are fresh, taking the seeds out, germinating those, and then for four years, caring for those in a small nursery and Um, we call it our mother garden, but um, you know, until it grows into an established tree and starts producing pods. Once it produces pods, this is what they look like. This is actually a real cocoa pod. It's dehydrated so so that it, yeah, isn't it cool? It looks like a football. So what's the
0: color Uh, on these uh, when they're fresh?
1: They're amazing. Yeah, the colors are like purple, um, green, Hmm. uh, orange, red, yellow my my daughter who's seven and we have so much fun walking through cocoa farms together, but she always says it looks kind of like a real live live Christmas tree. Um, it's mm. just like dramatic and bright, really beautiful trees. What's awesome about cocoa in, in in my opinion, I think it's really unique that if this was the trunk of the tree, unlike an apple where the fruit is gonna grow on the branches, the cocoa really grows mainly on the trunk of the tree and it starts with a little white flower and blossoms into um, what kind of looks like a pickle and then for a few months it grows into like this little football Um, and you know it's a it's a tree that's very susceptible to fungus um, not very drought resistant either so you need steady rainfall if not irrigation we we teach a lot of irrigation practices in Cameroon. It's part of our farmer field school that we that we run Um, and it's also uh, not very pest resistant. There's a lot of um, pest problems. So Hmm. farmers are already vulnerable when they're growing cocoa and the process after harvesting is kind of like step one of quality. Uh, You need to ferment. So you harvest the cocoa pot off the tree by cutting this off then you break this apart and inside you have a white fruity um, kind of a mass I'll call it like a uh, kind of like when you cut open a pumpkin and you have like the pulp and all yeah. these little seeds it's very similar um, and those that that free pulp needs to ferment under really warm conditions so that the seeds will develop the right flavor and this is like a very simply stated part of the process we could spend a few hours just talking about fermentation but long, generally what's happening how yeah. long
0: does that take to ferment it
1: Yeah. About uh, six to seven days.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it can depend on like the, um, the region that you're in depends on the heat depends on the kind of fermenting they're doing. If it's in boxes versus in like jute bags or banana leaves. And we've seen it all from good quality, consistent and thorough fermentation to uh, I mean, we've seen that skip that step skipped all together because farmers are not really aware of the quality or if they are it might not bring them any value if they properly ferment it anyway because their buyers don't care and they just want to move that that cocoa out the door and 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 earn money from it so um but it can take yeah four to four to seven days um and what's generally happening is that fruit is breaking down and it's creating acid uh, mainly acetic acid and it's that white pulp will drain away and you're left with these cocoa beans, which I'll show you. These little seeds. Let's see if my camera will focus a little better here. Here, there we go. So these little seeds, yeah. And they look like almonds. After they're fermented though, they're red and then they need to be dried for another two to four days. Sometimes even longer if there's a lot of humidity. For example, in Cameroon, our main harvest is in the peak of the monsoon season. So it's really tough because here we are trying to dry a vulnerable, it's like a soft commodity. it's 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 still a little vulnerable, and it needs to get to a certain moisture level before it molds. And we're harvesting in this like peak rainy season. I mean, the ambient humidity is ninety percent. It's just wet everywhere. So um, we're having a lot of fun experimenting with ways to uh, capture heat using like greenhouse style tents and move that moisture out. Um, Anyway, the next step then is drying. And after that, that is the commodity, the cocoa that's really ready to be shipped and turned into chocolate. Um, And if what we found when we were testing um, beans, you know, we were making chocolate right off our farm and buying from our friends, um, you know, we we made some awful chocolate in our early years as we were (laughs) testing fermentation. And it was so clear that when the fermentation and drying and ultimately the bean quality is, is high, you can make some amazing chocolate. And when that's the case, the product will taste better and we should be paying more for that as consumers and the farmer should be earning um, you know, a good take of that additional earning. And, and so wow. we just really fell in love with that. Even if we're not in the business of um, like new genetics or um, let's say doing anything different on the chocolate making side, if we could just teach farmers or, participate in helping farmers get value out of better fermenting and better drying and link them to chocolate makers that want that fine flavor, then um, it's just a great way for farmers without spending any additional money to start earning more from that bean. And so that's uh, how Mocha Farm really started. And that's the process one, I'll call it, like bean harvest. Fermenting, drying um, of chocolate making. The the next step, though, we'll get into uh, kind of the fun, creative part, is taking this bean and you know, turning it into a chocolate bar. Um, It's a, it's a tough process for a small batch maker to do. Hmm. When I first started, you know, it's just like everything now we're like Googling and YouTubing, um, and. Luckily, there's you know, generous people out there who have shared their knowledge. I'm trying my best now to share what I've learned. But chocolate making is tough for a small batch maker because the equipment that's available um, for chocolate making is really expensive and, and kind of catered towards big volume commercial production. So small batch chocolate making equipment, we kind of had to make a lot of it. For example, our roaster. Um, which is step number one to roast these beans, we're using a a coffee roaster, which has been amazing. It's still expensive, but it was an approachable way, um, you know, without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, we still spent tens of thousands to get a a roaster that can um, remove the moisture, properly develop flavor, um, give us airflow variable control, um, agitation of the drum so that we're able to use the um, you know, convection and conduction way of heating. So, um, that was step one is really roasting. The next step is they, this open, you can hear this and, oh, wow. And then getting this shell. Let's see, this is a shell and Emma, once you can visit in person, we'll make some awesome chocolate together. That would be super fun. Oh my gosh. I think you're going (laughs) to love the, the creative process here. Um, and that goes for anyone listening. We have a, a beautiful retreat center, about a hundred room capacity right on our campus. So we have a chocolate factory and this beautiful retreat center on a 400 acre um, nature preserve. So it's a really cool way to spend the weekend uh, if you're amazing. in the Pocono region. Um, but we have this, this husk or shell and then inside we have these cocoa nibs. So that components. is kind wow. of the, yeah, exactly. So that's the step to making the first <laughs> ingredient which we now use to make chocolate. Um, and you know, we've already spent several days just getting to this point where we're first sorting the beans, roasting those beans um, and then crushing them. And then what we call winnowing, which is separating the shell from these nibs. Um, a fun thing to talk about quickly, since your you know, business is really revolves around high quality and origin specific flavor, Mm -hmm. um every bean tastes different so like our beans that come and we make our Uganda bar with are going to taste very different than I think the bar you're tasting which is the uh bar from Ghana
0: the bar yeah I've been snacking on this all day (laughs) I have the bar from Ghana and um Tanzania also and it's insane the the difference in flavors that you get and actually i have a question about that is that does that have to do more with the the type of chocolate that is grown or the environment in which it
1: grows both it has to do with kind of all of that both the both the kind of bean so the kind of cocoa bean the variety just like if you think of an apple orchard you have like red delicious macintosh and granny smith and yeah they're all apples but they all taste very different right um, same with cocoa so you'll have different varieties of cocoa and they'll all taste different um, but then also the region yeah the terroir like the um, the climatic and environmental conditions mm. will influence the flavor potential of that bean and then third to the handling so how it was cared for when it was growing but really how it was cared for when it was fermented and dried um, and then we get into the chocolate making how we roasted it so you mm. set me up perfect to talk about the differences there the Uganda bean and the Tanzania bean taste very different because they're very different beans. Um, So the chocolate is going to be dramatically different. And it'll take us a while on the roaster. And sometimes it takes us months, kind of depends on how much we're putting into it as far as time. But it'll take us, you know, months to dial in that roast profile, meaning the amount of heat, the amount of time, the amount of airflow, um, just to perfectly kind of draw the best possible flavor qualities from this bean so versus like the Tanzania. every bean
0: is different and needs to every be roasted differently.
1: Exactly That's yeah. That's
0: amazing. Wow.
1: Yeah every bean has its own we call it a roast profile even a, and then and then the uh, the way it winnows is a little different and then the way that we stone grind it. So um, but we could take the Uganda bean and roast it a certain way and then roast it a completely different way and you would taste a dramatically different chocolate. So the roasting step is, I, I would say, okay. Aside from like bean quality is like the first most important step, and then the second is roasting. That okay. is a step where you could really make it or break it as far as your your chocolate. Right. Um, so, so we're very uh, nerdy and we love roasting. We're constantly talking about uh, you know volatilization of acetic acid and airflow and all these fun things uh, on how to get chocolate to taste how it does. Um, and then awesome. same as same goes for coffee as well. So um, next step though, so we have cocoa nibs. You saw these little crunchy nibs. You can either, you know, eat these, which are <laughs> super nutritious and like, you know, delicious. Um, but, but we do that one like banana. That's a really good.
0: Wow. I wish I could try like one. Choc-
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll send you some beans. You just break them open and uh, it has like a banana chocolatey It'd be really good in like a banana nut muffin or mm. something like that. So, um, <laughs> so next step then, take that cocoa nib and, and stone grind it. So we have these stone grinders which are basically big bowls that spin. And inside the bowls, there's two granite, literally granite stone rollers. And the base of that bowl is also granite. So as that bowl spins and that base is spinning, these rollers are also spinning. And the cocoa nibs are passing underneath those stone rollers and pulverizing. They're just turning into a liquid because about 50% of this cocoa nib is actually a liquid called cocoa butter. Mm-hmm. So like if you were to take this and you know, like chew it up or mash it up with a hammer, that's essentially making chocolate. You're, you're going to start to get um, the, the oil that's inside there to kind of come out. And so when we stone grind, we put this in the our refiners, our grinders rather, um, usually about three days and they just spin. And these are big machines now, but um, we can do about 500 chocolate bars per grinder at a time. And yeah, it takes about sometimes four days, but three to four days of grinding to get the, the chocolate really creamy. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and that's also where we put the sugar in. It's that same step. We put the sugar into those grinders as well.
0: That's really cool. And does, yeah. how do you separate for, so when you make white chocolate, you want to separate out the cocoa butter, right? How does that work?
1: Yep. Awesome. So white chocolate, exactly. You separate, you want to take the cocoa butter that's in here out. Um, we don't have the machine to do it yet, okay. but what you do is you take this cocoa nib, you need to mash it up a little bit and you use like a hydraulic press and this press, mm-hmm. it's like 10 or 20,000 pounds of pressure will squeeze out the cocoa butter. And it's like this beautiful liquid. I mean, you've seen cocoa butter. It's just, it's white or clear. And so what, what you have then is the separation of the, of the the clear cocoa butter. And what's left behind is cocoa powder. Cocoa powder is often used in like, you know, commercial pantries or, uh,
0: right,
1: yeah, you know, for baking, right? And then the cocoa butter mm-hmm. is either used by, for us, like we'll take that and we'll add it back to chocolate to make it even more creamy or we'll make white chocolate with it. Um, but a lot of times commercially it's used in like cosmetics, like a lot of lip balms and, uh, and other things have the the cocoa butter in it. And then the the cocoa powder is almost like the byproduct. So, um, what we love is that our chocolate actually doesn't separate it. We're taking the cocoa nib, which has the cocoa butter in it. And Mm -hmm. of course the cocoa solids, cocoa powder, if you will, um, and we turn all of that into chocolate. So you should taste the difference in that the cocoa butter is still present in our chocolate and it'll just have a really nice creamy consistency and a good melt, mm-hmm. which which we like because we also don't add lecithin or emulsifiers like um, yeah, you can use like a soy lecithin or a sunflower lecithin. Since mm-hmm. we don't use that, we need as much cocoa butter as possible already in our chocolate so that it, the viscosity is is nice. Right. Um, so yeah making like simple ingredient bean to bar chocolate is is tough but ultimately the flavor outcome and like um you know our satisfaction for the clean nature of the product uh, i guess that's what we get in return so um yeah so we grind the chocolate up and what we then do is pour it out of those big grinders and we like to let our chocolate rest some people call it aging or setting, sitting, I've heard all kinds of things, uh, consider like aging, okay? So we pour the chocolate out and we let it age for usually, well, we try to let it age for one to three months, um, kind of depends on how busy we are, but uh, we will, at the, in that aging process, you'll kind of notice some things evolve. You'll notice that the tannins, some of the um, acid, some of the bright notes, or maybe the bitter notes, they just kind of settle down a little bit. The chocolate kind of um, normalizes and rounds out. If you can imagine that in like a flavor descriptor, mm-hmm. it just kind of mellows out. And um, I found that after, yeah, like three to six months old or rested chocolate tends to just be a little bit uh, easier on the palate, um, especially for beans that have a lot of acidity, um, which some of the best chocolates do because that's where you're getting that, that fruity, Oh, like the Tanzania bar you're eating. And it has a really fun, um, I think like a cherry, I almost think like a malted cherry quality. So that cherry Mm -hmm. note is actually acetic acid that's present in the bean, which happens from the fermentation on the farm. So we don't want that flavor to go away. But what we want to do is make it softer so that it's not like eating vinegar essentially. Because that's what what, uh, that is. So yeah. So that's the aging process. And that's cool. Then we melt the chocolate again and we pour it into chocolate bars. So we have plastic um, uh, food grade polycarbonate molds and a tempering machine and some very dedicated people to doing this. Um, And my team is just amazing. So I can't wait for you to come and meet them, but they pour hand pour like every bar. So, um, you know, hundreds of bars a day, they're just depositing into the molds and then they go into a basically a a refrigerator that has extra airflow and some um, uh, humidity controls, and for about 30 minutes, that liquid chocolate in those plastic molds hardens, and because it's tempered, which means the crystals within the chocolate have taken a a different shape, it will then contract, and you'll have this nice, shiny uh, chocolate, and you'll have different... Kind of a, a quality um, with tempered chocolate, a better quality than you'll have with untempered chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. And so, listen, for example, you can kind of see the the shininess. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever like had a chocolate that you know maybe it was left in your car or your you know mm-hmm. your purse or outside or maybe just in direct sunlight on your counter and it melted. So you put it in the refrigerator to like harden it up or put it in your cabinet and then you took it out and you realized it had like a white Kind of uh, color to it. That's the cocoa butter rising to the surface. That's called bloom. It's not bad. It's not mold, but it was mistreated. So, yeah. like, never do that again. And <laughs> it's still, it's still good. And so, this is what we're going for, though. That shiny chocolate with this good snap. Mm-hmm. You mm, hear that? that is fine And then the <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the melt. So, yeah. And then we hand wrap everything in foil. And awesome. We paper wrap everything as well.
0: Cool. Your packaging is is really cool also. So does you know, do you have on there, you know, the mission and then you talk about the farms, the variety of bean, the regions that it came from. Um, so all of the cocoa beans in here all come from that region.
1: Or do you ever mix? Right. It's very simple. No. Okay. It's all single origin, yeah. We don't do any blends yet. Um I think it would be fun. And if we did, we would we would also be sourcing from single origin farms and right. then letting people know this bar has a blend of this bean and this bean. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We don't do it. Um, right. We just haven't gotten there yet. Plus I really love how the the chocolate tastes on its own. And I personally love like being able to taste the different countries or origins and differentiate them.
0: Yeah, um, that's, it's a fun experience for sure,
1: yeah. Yeah, what, what's your favorite, Emma?
0: Uh, I've got to say the Ghana bar is my favorite. I I love the um, more fudgy, uh, really? not bitter, but kind of bitter, like, I don't know. I, I guess I love the fruity. I think it's really interesting, but I just don't associate it as much with chocolate. And uh-huh. so for me, like, I'm kind of a sucker for that darker. Yeah. Darker flavor. And so do you know cool. why that is? Like, is Ghana or... I know that's right next to um, Ivory Coast, too. Do those have a different flavor, say, than um, Cameroon? Because Cameroon is close, too,
1: right? It's Cameroon's close, too. Yeah, you know, the my four favorite, like, West African cacao um, beans and chocolate all have a very kind of similar quality as far as, like, dark, brooding, like, well-rounded chocolate. Not very fruit-forward, but more, like, almost like the edge of a brownie pan, like that really yeah. good classic <laughs> chocolate. And I, I love that. The Ghana is really fun. Um, it has a, a, not a little astringency, but it's not overpowering. And yeah, it just has a really nice classic chocolate flavor. Um, Cameroon is very similar. Okay. Except it has like a slight cherry note. I wonder if I have one here. Um, I, I keep this stash kind of tucked away. <laughs> um it's a rare a rare bean as far as a good quality bean um and yeah it has a uh, it has a really fun malted cherry almost like a dark cocoa powdery kind of flavor mm. um and then beans that we use from Sierra Leone also have that they're a little bit more earthy that could just mm-hmm. be like a quality of the bean or the handling or the age of them but mm-hmm. it, they have that um and then I really like yeah our ivory coast too it has almost like a uh, like a graham cracker, like nutty, note. but anyway, point being is they're more, they're not really on like the, the fruity floral end of the flavor spectrum. They're more like on the kind of chocolatey nutty end. Right. And, uh, yeah. Where, so where's the Ghana? Yeah. It's, isn't it like the potential, uh, the Uganda though, it's, um, it's from Africa, but it's got a, it's got this like bright apricotty kind of note. Um, mm-hmm. so
0: Yeah, that's super cool. Cool. What is your biggest area of curiosity right now? Like in the chocolate or coffee? It,
1: yeah, for me it's how to uh how to like have this mega shift happen where chocolate doesn't stick in this category as a candy. Mm-hmm. And how can we shift that to where, and, and there's nothing wrong with candy, but the value of it is low or value perception of it. How can chocolate have a shift where it becomes a food, just like a specialty cheese or a wine or a bread? Um, you know, it's, it, the value to make it is high and the value perception on the market is low and there's a disconnect. And I think that if chocolate is going to continue to be valued low and ultimately earn, you know, little money, which is going to result in low paid farmers. I'd almost like to see it just like not be a thing and go away. It's Mm -hmm. almost harder on humanity than it is positive when you're working so hard for no profit and ultimately trapped in this cycle of quantity, no quality, Um, And there's so many layers of the supply chain and you're like trapped underneath all of them. And I didn't understand this as a consumer. And I didn't really think the effects of this broken supply chain were that massive until I started living and working with community members who were like underneath this um, reality. And so I would love to see, and ultimately what I want to achieve through like amazing partners, like, you know, like, like yourself is find a way to educate consumers that Um, You taste the difference in that chocolate. That's really unique. Here's the story on how that flavor nuance came to be, and why this is a little bit more expensive. Because the bean quality was higher, the farmer was paid sustainably. It's a win-win for everyone. And ultimately, you're going to taste the difference. So yeah, I think I would love to see a shift for quality and higher compensation versus like, um, yeah, quantity and and unfair living wages for farmers.
0: Right. I love that. I love that. Your company does a lot of really cool things, but if you had one million dollars to expand on any project, how would you use it? What do you think is mm. the most impact?
1: Yeah. I think if, if we had that kind of capital, it would be to it would be it would be on awareness and I won't say sales, but it would be on like distribution end of it. Mm-hmm. And it would be it would be a, a big investment to put towards doing what we're currently doing even better as far as consumer education and trying to find like large quantity opportunities for high quality fair trade cocoa. Because the volumes do need to exist. So when I say like, let's get away from quantity, I don't mean like, you know, the more quantity of high quality, that's what's going to win. So I would like to see, you know, a lot of money be put towards finding a specialty, um, increasing the the specialty chocolate segment in in grocery and ultimately has to start with consumers' interest. So just consumer awareness around how like, Chocolate is devastating. Currently, yeah. we could change the face of humanity and over like the uh, course of like the course of you know a few years across a thousand, thousands of people quickly, if we shifted our consumption and our awareness on how we think about chocolate. So yeah, probably com- consumer awareness and and finding good markets because another reality is that there's you know maybe hundred or two hundred small batch chocolate makers in the U.S. We're all really great people and want chocolate farmers to win. But is there enough consumption to really support the amount of chocolate that we're now putting into this market? Not really, if we're gonna be competing with like one or two or $3 bars of like commodity chocolate. That, um, so yeah, so I think there needs to be a lot more work done to create opportunities for this good quality, higher value chocolate too have uh to have a market access for
0: right right i think and i think a lot of people are kind of waking up to that um i know you know fair trade's been around for a long time and people understand that uh the reason for that is because some chocolate is not super ethical um Mm -hmm. but it's definitely it's definitely been a challenge to really get that I guess shift people's consumer uh, behaviors. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, fair done a lot for like waking up consumers to the issues. Yeah. The fair trade model like isn't perfect either though. And we won't get into that. That could be an awesome follow-up podcast though. For sure. Like how to improve fair trade. And maybe that's where the million dollars would be used. Um, but mm. but it's a really good start and it woke me up to just when I read something like Fair Trade, it has me, it gets me thinking. And it gets me understanding the challenges. Um, So, yeah, you know, and I think as far as that million dollar question, there's a lot of kind of, um, as an entrepreneur, I'm constantly thinking about different business opportunities. Most of them are like geared towards social projects. And so I have a lot that I would like to see happen in in Cameroon and some of these other project sites that we work in. Um, And those are, you know, bringing the manufacturing closer to origin value addition there uh we run a lot of cool small micro enterprises in Cameroon and I would love to do more Uh, I would love to do more around agriculture and take what is now like a raw ingredient being exported out what if the processing and manufacturing could happen there the value addition could happen there as well and people at origin would earn more so you know um a million dollars wouldn't go a long way with me, but I would love to see it put to use there. On the U.S. side, here you know, I just think, yeah, consumer awareness is is something that we got to shift. And you know, your shop is perfect for this. You have a, you know, Rosie's Confections. You have an opportunity for people to walk in. You're gonna have five minutes, maybe twenty minutes with everyone for them. Whether it's even just like seeing something on the wall or like an infographic, or telling them the story about um, who you source from or maybe the farmers that you've met you're going to wake up so many people through your one-on-one interactions. Um, I would love to invest in that. And I think that's awesome from the standpoint of you're going to be kind of like the torchbearer to wake up consumers. You're also then going to plug them right into a purchasing decision that's ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's great. I, w- I would love to do that um, even greater than we're currently doing in um, our current chocolate factory, having a more physical retail presence with our chocolate factory cafe um, kind of model. But how do you do that, you know, um, um, at scale is kind of the question. And uh, so, yeah, Yeah. great question. Oh,
0: that's a great answer, too. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Those are some really cool, uh, cool ideas. I love the idea of uh, building a factory or building more factories at the countries of origin. Because I can only imagine, like, right now, so much of the supply is going to these giant, chocolate or cocoa processing facilities i can't even mm-hmm. picture the magnitude of it but you know there's so much cho- like you know all the big cocoa companies mm-hmm. um yeah. none of these factories are in the countries of origin right like these giant i know there's like no. a few mm-hmm. small ones yeah
1: the the scale is so massive it's hard to wrap your head around um
0: but i can't and,
1: even <laughs> yeah And forget about manufacturing at origin for a moment, even if though, those mega companies who are exporting ship loads of cocoa, not even, they're not even putting them in the jute bags. They're not even putting them into containers. There's so much bean; they're literally blasting them through like cannons, filling the, filling the, 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 um, the bottoms of ships, like it's mega trade. If the percentage compensation was increased just by a few percent, like the impact on human life as far as farmers earning a living wage income would be so significant that it could really um, help to reduce poverty. So, yeah. um, you know, manufacturing at origin would be really cool. It kind of depends on can that product then be sold at origin or is it shelf stable enough or can it be mm-hmm. transported then. Or you know, in a way that's not going to jeopardize the quality. Um, anyway, but if if there's consumer interest within that country and and uh, you know, the company, uh, they can afford it, um, then that then that's awesome. But even if like you know, the compensation for those beans just went up, you know, half a percent or a few percent. Um, yeah, the impact is significant, so I think it's worth a yeah. shot. And uh, can I ask you a question, Rosie?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Or Emma, I'm sorry about Rosie's <laughs> confections. So, okay, yeah. Cool. So what was your first, um, when did you realize you wanted to start working in chocolate? So
0: (laughs) that's a good question. Um, So I've had a culinary background uh, ever since I was a kid. You know, I've always loved making pastries and throughout university, I worked at a bakery. Um, So that's always been a passion of mine. You know, I, I used to love making gourmet cakes and I'm really into the the dessert like but making beautiful art with food and uh chocolate Mm -hmm. it wasn't something i considered until three years ago um i walked into one of the new house shops in new york city um i don't know if you're familiar with new house or belgium chocolate Mm -hmm. company and i just walked into the shop and was just blown away by the level of artistry and creativity that goes into making confections you know they have all different colors like different flavors and you know just the experience of buying that and then you know leaving with a box and then trying some and and having it just taste so so good I was just blown away by the experience and I was like this is something I could get into Um, and then I started making chocolates for my dad I started making um, CBD infused chocolates because a lot of the CBD infused edibles that were around had a lot of um, preservatives and high fructose corn syrup. And mm-hmm. I mean, we were never behind the idea of mixing medicine with poison. So, <laughs> um, uh-huh. so I started right. making my own stuff and experimenting yeah. with that, um, then, and that's really, you know, I really mm-hmm. fell in love with that medium. It's just, it's just really awesome. fun to work with learning how to temper and all of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah it's amazing. It's like art and science. Yep. And then, and then the experience that comes out of it is 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 incredible.
0: Delightful so, for everyone for the consumer. and for yeah. yeah and uh definitely when I started my business and I started you know really researching my industry, researching you know where my ingredients were coming from because I've always you know wanted to be thoughtful about what I like the product I was making and how that was affecting everyone um i started realizing there was really a darker side that i had no idea about you know chocolate before was like a fun food (laughs) really for everyone and then i realized you know that there are a lot of farmers that struggle because we get to enjoy this as a commodity i suppose so Mm -hmm. so then i became very curious and started learning more and really realizing that chocolate is a luxury and uh yeah and i mean it all led me to here <laughs> during this campaign and starting a podcast. So, you know, really trying to start a conversation about this and talk about it more in depth yeah. with people. So, yeah.
1: yeah, Emma, that's awesome. That's an incredible story, <laughs> and it's amazing what can come from from that first starting point of just getting the conversation started, right. and and the the empowerment potential behind um yeah engaging in a, a dialogue that needs to happen yeah. so and what better like what better like context for it to be than chocolate because you know everyone's into right. it I know. So, yeah, so you have our attention yeah
0: <laughs> chocolate someone said chocolate
1: <laughs> exactly yep
0: yeah no i'm definitely very i'm so excited to see where this is gonna go and uh honestly that about that about wraps it up is there anything else that you want to share that um that we maybe didn't get to about cocoa farming
1: well yeah chocolate is a a food that comes from a fruit that was hand Mm -hmm. cared for so we should do our job as consumers and make sure we're mindfully choosing what chocolate we consume that's the bottom line i think absolutely
0: awesome well thank you just so much for thank
1: you so much for having me emma Mm -hmm. this has been a really great opportunity yeah thank you yeah likewise i'm so proud to meet you and and your your shop and i can't wait to uh to visit in person and yeah order online too and i'm excited about the the chocolate and coffee that you're gonna have available so hell yeah (laughs) yeah awesome
0: really excited to work together all right thanks thank you emma have a good one
1: cool yeah take care